given us to meet together here in his house. Uh, we very much appreciate the the prayer that's that's been offered by our, our brethren in the Lord. I would uh, ask that each one of you would pray for us as we as we stand before you. If you have your, your Bible with you this morning, I trust that you do. The, the house of God's a good place to bring your Bible. Turn with me to the uh, the book of Job to begin with in chapter 22 and verse 21. We'll use this as a starting point and uh, we'll look at several other scriptures this morning. As we use just a, a phrase from this verse that was spoken by by Eliphaz, who was a miserable comforter of Job in his time of trouble. For us to consider this morning the promised son. The promised son. Job chapter 22 and verse 21, it was Eliphaz that spoke and said to Job, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Now these words that were spoken by Eliphaz are, are good words. They're words of truth. But they do not have application with the person he's, he's speaking to. Do you realize we could speak and, and say words of truth? Have words that are they're accurate with a, with a standard, but... They, didn't, they don't have application to the person we're, we're speaking to. And let me give you just a quick example. Let's say we had a, a judge that was sitting on a bench and an individual was before him that had been accused of, of stealing. He'd been accused of being, being a thief. But the man was, was completely innocent of the specific crime he was being accused of. He didn't do it. But the man in his life, like all of us, we've, we've stolen something from someone one way or another, either stealing a quote, stealing a story. I mean, concerning our nature, I mean, we're, we're all thieves. We've all stolen from the Lord and not given him the glory we should. We're all guilty before God. But this individual was not guilty of that specific crime. Now, the judge could say, you're guilty, and leave it at that. And the man certainly is guilty. We're all guilty of stealing of, of, of some sort before the eyes of God. I mean, how many of us have given God the glory we should have in our lives? None of us have. We've stolen from the Lord. But this individual that was accused of that crime, guilty, was not guilty of that specific crime. Now, Eliphaz, when he's speaking to Job, Job is like all of us. It would do us all well to acquaint ourselves with him. But what Eliphaz is doing, he's saying, you don't even know him. See, what Eliphaz is doing, he's accusing Job of something he's not guilty of, even though the words are true and would have application to everyone. Acquaint now thyself with him. Now you may have come to the house of God this morning saying, I, I know Jesus. And certainly every born-again child of God knows the Lord in their heart. Do you know the Lord himself teaches his children to know him? 
See, man was not conceived in his mother's womb with an innate knowledge of God. No. When we were conceived in our mother's womb, it was we were conceived in sin. And without God being in our heart, we have something in us that declares an opposition to God, no God for me. You remember there in Psalms 14 and verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. See, a wicked person without God in his heart can receive information about God, but he does not have God in his heart. There's resistance to the knowledge of God from the wicked person's heart. Now, the born-again child of God has an innate knowledge of the Lord in their heart. Why? Because the Lord himself takes his finger, the Holy Spirit, and touches their heart and teaches them to know him. Remember the text there in Hebrews chapter 8? It's in verse 11 and 12, And they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. I mean, from the child of God that's born again in his mother's womb like John the Baptist to one that's hanging on a cross beside Jesus, the thief. They're taught to know the Lord in their heart by God and God alone. Acquaint now thyself with him. What's the purpose of the gospel? What's the purpose of the word of God? If it's the Lord himself that teaches his children to know him in their heart, why don't don't we preach? We preach that the mind would be instructed of the child of God, that we as children of God in our minds would know more about the Lord that's in our hearts, our hearts. See, that's why I come to the house of God. That's why I read the Bible to know more about him that saved me by his, his grace. Acquaint now thyself with him. You know, one way we can be acquainted with the Lord is understanding that he, he is, was, is the, the promised son. You know, when Jesus came into the world, it just wasn't just some spur of the moment. He decided, I'm going to come into the world now. No, no, he was... He was promised. He was the promised son. Therefore, all the way through the Old Testament, we'll have prophecies about him and him coming into the world. Why? Because he was promised to come into the world. He promised himself to come into the world and perform the work that he accomplished while he was in the world. You know, many of you may be aware of a text that's found in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 where it says, Unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is is given. You know, if that text would have just stopped, unto us a child is born, that could have had application with any child, right? But this child that would be born is a son that's, that's given. And the government, meaning all the authority of the kingdom is upon his shoulders, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That prophecy is about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was written by man, by inspiration of the Spirit, long before the Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin in, in Bethlehem. Why? Because he's the, he's the promised son. Do you realize there was a promise about him coming into the world immediately after sin entered into the world? Do you recall when the Lord spoke to Adam and Eve after sin entered into the world? You know, God told Adam, you know, don't eat of this tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil that's in the midst of the garden. God told Adam, if you eat it, you, you'll surely die. And Adam disobeyed God. God didn't make Adam disobey him. It was Adam that made a choice on his own. And the Bible teaches us that the woman Eve ate with him. 
and they ate and disobeyed God. Sin entered into the world. They fell from the state that they that they were and how they were created by the Lord, and now they're sinners. And the Lord, he calls to Adam in the cool of the day, and it was Adam that was hiding behind the trees from the Lord. Where art thou? You know, what has happened? You've eaten the tree. Well, the woman you gave me, she gave to me, and I eat. You know, man trying to evade responsibility is not something new. Adam tried to do that way back in Genesis chapter 3. Well, the woman, she's not going to take blame. Well, it was the serpent. So the Lord spoke to Adam. The Lord spoke to Eve, and the Lord spoke to the serpent. And in verse 15, he told the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between her seed and thy seed, and it shall bruise thy head, but thou shalt bruise his heel. There was a seed of a woman promised right there that would come into the world, not a seed of a man, a seed of a woman that would come into the world and bruise the head of the serpent. And Adam and Eve understood that to some degree, because if you remember in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, when Cain was born, they named him Cain, and Eve said this, I've gotten me a man from the Lord. Now Cain, of course, wasn't the promised seed. But because of that promise of the Lord, every male child that, was, that would be born, I'm, I'm sure the families thought, well, is this the one? Is this the one? Is, is this the one? And thousands of years passed. Thousands of years passed, and finally there was a virgin. And we read about it in Scripture that was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And that's the Lord. And that holy thing that was born of her is called, didn't become, was called the, the Son of God. And so there was a time this one that was promised would come. He, he come. And all the way through the book, even the book of Isaiah, we find prophecies of his coming into the world. You know, Isaiah chapter 11, he's, he's made reference to as being the stem of Jesse. Isaiah chapter 42 is referred to as the elect of God. He was the one in covenant that was set aside that would come into the world. Isaiah chapter 61, he's the proclaiming, declaring preacher of the gospel, and he was anointed for that. Isaiah 63, he's a soldier that would come into the world. And over and over we have prophecy after prophecy in scripture of the one that would come into the world. He's the promised son. So when Jesus came into the world, he was fulfilling all these scriptures that pointed toward him and his coming. And he fulfilled them all in his, in his life and in his, in his ministry. You know, when you think about the Lord, this promised son coming into the world. You know, he didn't become a son when he came into the world. He's the son of God that came into the world. You see, the son is eternal just like the father is eternal, just like the Holy Spirit is eternal, not one older than the other, not one more wise than the other, not one more capable than the other. The Bible teaches us clearly that there's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are, are one. They're one. And you may ask, well, Brother Ronnie, can you explain that? No, I can't explain it. I don't fully understand it. The Bible says it's a mystery, but I believe it. Why? Because I have something in me that God's put in me that clings to this, and the Bible declares to me that this, this is truth. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost are, are all one. They're, they're the same, and yet they're three. So the Son, the eternal Son, came in, into the world. Do you realize the Bible teaches us that the eternal Son, the promised Son that came into the world, there, there'd be a time that he came into the world. The Bible declared that. Do you remember reading there in the book of Matthew chapter 2? I know we like to read this during Christmas time, but there's, there's a lot of preaching right there in Matthew chapter 2 about these, these wise men that would come from the east. Who are these wise men? 
The wise men, the wise there is, is translated from, from an Aramaic word. It's magi. This magi is making reference to the magicians of the Medo-Persian Empire. See, these individuals that came from the east, they came from east of Jerusalem, east of Bethlehem, come to find the Lord. They, they came from the east. They saw his star in the east, and they came, and they traveled east to west to find the Lord. They saw his star. We saw his star. They were in the east when they saw his star. And they come to find him. Why? Because they had been taught by an individual that was there in the Medo-Persian Empire with them concerning the coming of the Messiah, and they knew the time that he would come. And when they saw the star, it all connected. That this, this star, this is it. This is what this one told us about. That one that taught us was, was a man named Daniel. You remember the Bible teaches about a man named Daniel? Remember Daniel was taken into Babylonian captivity? And then when the Medo-Persians conquered the Babylonians, it was Daniel that was with them. You know, when Daniel was cast there in that den of lions, that was during the Medo-Persian reign. It was after the Babylonians had been conquered. It was Darius who was a Persian king. Well, Daniel chapter 9 teaches us concerning that time. Those magi, those wise men were able to put that together in their mind. Do a little math. They put it together and said, you know, that star, this is him. It's here. The, the time is fulfilled in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 3, it was the Gentiles that would come to the brightness of thy rising, to that light. Turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 9. Let's, let's see if we can look at this just a little more concerning this time this promised son would come into the world. Now I'm going to confess to the congregation this morning, to my memory, and I say that to my memory, I want to say that before I make this statement, I cannot ever remember preaching on this prophecy. To my memory. I say that because someone may come up with a cassette tape somewhere and say, Here, Brother Ronnie, I proved you wrong. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. Brother Ronnie, are you that old that you preached when they just had cassette tapes? Yes, I'm, I'm that old. Now, I'm not hardly old enough to be recording on eight tracks. <laughs> but I, I don't, to my memory, remember preaching on this prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell the congregation, I think this is probably one of the more misinterpreted prophecies in the Bible. There are many in the world that use this prophecy and misinterpret it to teach about a time of utopia on earth in the future. And these individuals teach that, you know, the church is just a parenthetical time and there's going to be a time in the future when the Lord would come back and reign in Jerusalem. It'll be a time of utopia on the earth, and they refer to that as, as a millennial reign of the Lord on the earth, a thousand-year reign, and they're taking Revelation chapter 20 way out of its context. This prophecy is not teaching that. Uh, years ago, uh, I heard this story many years ago when I was before I joined the Primitive Baptist. There was a sister that was a member of a church, and the church was being attacked by that false teaching of that millennial reign. And a man got up in the pulpit and he preached on it. And that sister had been a member of the church for many, many, many years. And the pastor of the church went to her and said, Sister, what do you think about that thousand-year reign? And she said, Well, dear pastor, I remember it rained in the days of Noah, 40 days and 40 nights, and it flooded the earth. A thousand-year reign might near be a real gully washer. <laughs> this portion of Scripture and Daniel chapter 9 is not teaching about a time of utopia. It's teaching about the coming of the Messiah and the judgment 
that the Jews would face because of their disobedience. Notice it says in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Now Daniel, in this chapter, it's been revealed to him that the 70-year captivity of the Babylonians has is, is, is come to an end. He's done some meditation and study concerning a prophecy of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 11, he knows it's coming to an end. And he's praying to the Lord. He's confessing the sins of his people, his sins, his shortcomings. Thanking the Lord for his mercy and grace. And about that time, Gabriel, verse 21, comes to him and gives him this revelation concerning something that's going to happen in the future. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city, meaning upon Jerusalem. This 70 weeks is not weeks of days, it's weeks of years. See, the children of Israel not only had a Sabbath day weekly, they also had a Sabbath year. You'll find that in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 8. Every seventh year was a Sabbath year for the children of Israel. Sabbath does not mean Sabbath, by the way. It means a time of rest. There was a Sabbath day, a Sabbath year. They had annual Sabbaths. Uh, I think the last chapter in, in 2 Chronicles, when the children of Israel were in Babylonian captivity, God said the land would keep Sabbath as long as they were in that captivity, which was a 70-year Sabbath. Now, praise God, I'm looking for a Sabbath. I'm looking for an eternal Sabbath when we will be at rest forever and ever with the Lord. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. This is making reference to the Sabbath years. So if we take 70 times the seven years, this prophecy is about 490 years. 490 years are determined upon thy people, upon the holy city. Well, what's going to happen in that period of time? This is when the transgression would be finished, to finish the transgression. This language is referring to like having a cup of water that you're filling up and filling up and filling up, and it finally gets to the complete top and it begins to run over. This is making reference to the sins of the Jews and God's long-suffering with them finally wearing out. You remember when Jesus said to some there in Matthew chapter 23, Fill ye then up the measure of your fathers. Because he said from the blood of Abel even to the blood of Zechariah that was killed there at the altar and be on their hands. What is Jesus saying? Jesus said, look, the long-suffering of the Father has been towards you and towards you and towards you and now his long-suffering is up. And he was going to punish them chasing them in Jerusalem and be destroyed. During these 490 years, that transgression would be finished, and at the same time, there'd be an end made of sins. The transgressions of the children of Israel that were finished were finished by the, by the crucifixion of Jesus. See, they had disobeyed God and disobeyed God and disobeyed God and disobeyed God, and then when people that should have had light that the oracles of God have been delivered to, that they should have recognized this is the eternal Son of God. They denied Him. They finished the transgression. Therefore, Jerusalem was destroyed and they suffered that chastisement. At the same time, they finished the transgression in the crucifixion of the Lord as at the same time there was an end made of sins. And that's when Jesus gave His life. See, even though the Bible teaches us they killed Jesus, and they did, they could not have touched him unless he suffered it to be so. At the same time, they killed Jesus. At the same time, he made an end of sin by offering himself in our room instead. And at the same time, there's reconciliation made for iniquity. Is at the same time, Jesus made an end of sin that we were reconciled to the Father. 
And at the same time, there was everlasting righteousness brought in because it was Jesus that set up the kingdom of God that would have no end. Because, praise God, what we're experiencing right now is not going to end. It's just going to get better when we're taken up into heaven. The Bible teaches us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23, when the end would come, when God folds it all up, the kingdom of God would be delivered up. Didn't say come down, delivered, delivered up. I remember years ago I was talking to a man uh, at a local hardware store I worked at, and he was talking to me, of course, about this portion of Scripture here in Daniel chapter 9. And about that time he was looking forward to when the Lord would come down from heaven and, and set up his kingdom here on earth. And, and he didn't see that the church is an aspect of God's kingdom. A good definition for that, the kingdom of God is where the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns in our hearts. That's the sense in which the kingdom of God is in us. The kingdom of God reigns in heaven, but the kingdom of God reigns God reigns here in his church as well. It's where God rules. He didn't see the church as that kingdom, and he said, I'm looking forward to that day that the kingdom will come down. And I said, that's amazing. You kind of disagree with the Apostle Paul. I said, the Apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23, when the Lord comes back, the kingdom would not come down, but it would be delivered up. You know, he called me a smart aleck. He said, you, you're just a smart aleck young preacher. He said, you think you know everything. I said, well, I don't know everything, but I know up from down. <laughs> when the Bible says it's going to be delivered up, I know that much. And when the Lord comes back, the kingdom of God, this that we have, is going to be delivered up into glory. I told someone, they asked me what heaven was going to be like. I said, have you ever been in just a really rich primitive Baptist meeting where you could just reach up and feel like you touched the Lord, just grab hold of the hem of his garment? I mean, just tears flowing down, everybody happy. It's going to be that better is what it's going to be. And there's going to be a whole lot more people there because we're all going to be in agreement. Every child of God, every, every kindred, tongue, and people, nation, anything that's hindered us from not seeing the truth and understanding the truth will be gone. And we'll all be in agreement, all in unity. I'm looking forward to that. Are you looking forward to that time of unity? Amen. And at the same time, if you notice, he would seal up the vision and the prophecy. And anoint the most holy. Remember the Jews? Romans chapter 11. They were cut off from that light that they had. And the Gentiles were grafted into that light. That's not saying the Jews ceased to be children of God. They were just cut off from the light and understanding. It's a great blessing that we have right now to be grafted in. To have this light and understanding in God's word and fellowship with him. You know children of God can be children of God without having light and understanding in their mind. I mean, I could have a great bill that I owed to a company and not have ability to pay it. Somebody could pay it and may not even know about it and it still be paid, right? There's children of God all over the world that do not have the light and understanding. Those Jews had light and understanding, but they did not show appreciation for that light and understanding. And Romans chapter 11 says they were cut off from that light and understanding and the Gentiles were grafted in. Of course, the Lord, he anointed the most, the most holy. And you remember there in Acts chapter 2, it was the Holy Spirit that came down. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit right now. Verse 25, know therefore and understand from the going forth of the commandment, what commandment? To restore and build Jerusalem. You remember that was made in the book of Ezra by Cyrus? From that time unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. That's, that's 69 weeks. That's 49 plus 434, which equals 483 years. So from the time that that commandment was made, and see these individuals, then all this information is being passed down to these magi. They're hearing this. Well, from the going forth of that commandment,
encampment in Ezra chapter 1 when Cyrus said go build Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah, the Prince, and that's him coming to a manifestation point in light, which is at 30 years old when he was baptized by John the Baptist, it's going to be 483 years. And three score and two weeks, notice the streets shall be built again. The walls of Jerusalem were built again in those seven weeks. And after the three score and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. When is that happening? Him being cut off, that's in the 70th week he's referring to. So, so that's between 483 and 490 years. But notice he's going to be cut off, but not for himself. Jesus was not cut off for himself. He was cut off for us. He was cut off from the land of the living. He gave his life, not for himself, not because he sinned, but because of our sin, the people of the prince, not the prince, the people of the prince would come. And that's when the prince Titus and the Roman army came and they destroyed Jerusalem. And the abomination of desolation when the heathen armies were there in Jerusalem. And it was in that 70th week, you'll notice in verse 27, it's the Messiah that would confirm the covenant with many for a week. That week is seven years. There were seven years that the covenant was confirmed with many for three and a half years by Jesus Christ himself and for three and a half years through the apostles. Do you remember the text there in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 and 2? Therefore we ought to give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which was first spoken by the Lord three and a half years and confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Three and a half years by the apostles. So the 490 years were up probably around the time that Stephen was, was stoned. So now but we can take this prophecy that was given years and years and years before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. And these individuals that were taught there in the Medo-Persian Empire were able to take this prophecy of that time that Jesus would come into the world understanding... According to Numbers chapter 4, a priest, the man of God, would not begin his ministry until he was 30 years old. Do some math and say, when we see that star, bam, that's him. That's the one Daniel was telling us about. He's here. Let's go see him. And when they came there, they said, where's he at? We know he's here somewhere. We've done the math. Daniel told us about these 490 years. He, he's here somewhere. He's here. We've done it. We saw the star. And they come to find him, and I find it so amazing there's people there in that city of Jerusalem, there in those towns that should have known it. They, they didn't know it. God had given them light. God had given them understanding. And they didn't use the light and understanding that they had. I mean, they should have been rejoicing. Would you agree? They, these people that had the oracles of God should have been rejoicing. Jesus is here. He's here. But no these magi had to come from the east and say, where's he at? Where's he at? Well, here is like, uh, have you heard about, about this? Where, where's, where's he at? Well, in Matthew chapter 2, you remember it was some that said, oh yeah, it was, um, it was Bethlehem Ephratah where he'd be born. So not only does the Bible teach us about the promised son and when he would come into the world, it teaches us about the place that he'd be born. Turn with me to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. The book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah the prophet. That's the reason you find some prophecies in Micah that are very similar to the words in Isaiah. And if you look at Micah chapter 4 and compare it to Isaiah chapter 2, they're, they're nearly identical. 
Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, not only has Daniel told us the time that Jesus would come in the world, this promised son, Micah told us the place he'd be born. But thou, O Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now that language from old or everlasting means from the days of eternity. That's what that means. What it's saying is that one that's going to be born in Bethlehem Ephratah, that's not when he began. Mm -mm, that's when he took upon himself perfect humanity because this one that's going to be born there, his days have been from the days of eternity. The eternal Son of God. You know, this prophecy is, well, that is really specific. It's not just a Bethlehem. It's Bethlehem Ephrathah. I'm going to tell you something many of you may not know. Before I moved to North Carolina, I actually pastored a church in Monroe, Georgia. And now I'm trying to pastor a church in Monroe, North Carolina. Now what if I was at a meeting somewhere in a different state and somebody came to me and said, Hey, Brother Ronnie, are you still in Monroe? I could say yes. But was I specific about that? I'm not in the same place, even though I said I'm still in Monroe. The Bible didn't say he'd just be born in Bethlehem. Why? Because there's many Bethlehems. That's not specific. Do you know there's a Bethlehem, Georgia? I used to drive through it every Sunday. I stopped one day at the post office, and, and I asked them, just to be joking, I said, what's your busiest time of the year? <laughs> Of course, it's during Christmas time. They said every year at Christmas they get thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Christmas cars dropped off there so when they're mailed out, they could be mailed out from, from Bethlehem. It's say from Bethlehem. That's what the little town is known for. But that town is Bethlehem, but it's not Bethlehem. Ephratah. God not only told us the time that the sun would come in the world, God gave us the specifics about the place he would be born. Bethlehem, Ephrathah. There was a man many years ago, his name is Peter Stoner. And Peter Stoner, who was a Bible-believing disciple, he was arguing with people that denied the authority of Scripture. And he wanted to show them and others the mathematical probabilities of these prophecies just being by accident, you know. Somebody said it, and it just, it's just accident, you know, just happenstance. It so happened. God said this would happen, and, and it was just by happenstance that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem after time. That man took eight prophecies in the Old Testament and did mathematical probabilities on just that being by accident that all eight were fulfilled and he said the mathematical probabilities are 1 in 10 to the 17th power. What that is is 10 with 17 zeros on it. And of course, you know, just a normal person that works with math like me, I mean, I'm, I'm still working on double-digit division. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm thinking, well, that, that sounds like a big number, but can you illustrate that? So he illustrated he said, what if we took the state of Texas and covered the state of Texas 
one foot deep in quarters. The entire state of Texas. And somebody took one quarter painted black and dropped it in all those quarters in the state of Texas. A person would have just as much chance walking through the state of Texas right up to that black quarter and picking it up as it would for eight prophecies to be fulfilled by happenstance. Wow. How's that for illustrating it? But that's not all the prophecies of the Lord that are given to us in specific in the Old Testament. So he went beyond that. He took 48 prophecies in the Old Testament, which is still not all the prophecies about the Lord and them being fulfilled just by happenstance, by accident. He said that would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. And to illustrate that, he said we do not have that many estimated electrons in our universe. God is specific about the place Jesus would come into the world. What about how he would come into the world? The Bible is specific about how. Not only the time, he's the promised son. Not only the place, but the how. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7 and verse 14. And this is a verse of scripture that's, that's being attacked today by people that want to correct the Bible. I know you, everyone here knows this, but just in case anyone ever listens to this CD that doesn't know this, I want everyone to know this. I believe the King James Bible is the Bible for English-speaking people. It's a word-for-word translation from the original text, and it's been preserved by God for us as English-speaking people. And you'll pick up books in the world that take this text like Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and attack it and say that's not the way it should be worded. No, this is the way it should be worded for English-speaking people. The text reads, Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore... The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You remember that being fulfilled in the book of Matthew? I mean, we go to Matthew chapter 1. Yes, we remember that. There's many books in the Bible, uh, many books in the world that call themselves the Bible. They say that should just be translated that a young woman would bear a, a son. No. Mm-mm. No, it's a virgin that would bear a son. You realize by that mistranslation that people are using. They're denying the Lord Jesus Christ and the virgin birth. You know, if it was possible for God to bring his son into this world using any man or any woman, he would have done it. But a man and a woman cannot come together and have a child and that child be holy. Why? Because everything brings after its kind. You know the reason I was conceived a sinner in my mother's womb? My dad is a sinner. My mom is a sinner. You know the reason when two cows come together and they have a calf, a cow? Because they're cows. Dogs come together and have dogs. Cats come together and have cats. Sinners come together and have sinners. <laughs> Got an amen for that. <laughs> the, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ did not come into this world with just a man and a woman, just a young woman having a child. No, it was a virgin. It was the Holy Spirit that overcame Mary and she was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And that heartbeat that was in her womb, that was Jesus Christ. Do you realize what people are saying today about the heartbeat in someone's womb not being a person? They're even denying that. That was Jesus Christ, the heartbeat. He descended from glory above. To the lower parts of the earth, the earthen vessel of the Virgin Mary, and that heartbeat. Can you imagine this? The one that owns all things, that made all things, 
that spoke this world into existence. The center of throne of glory that was not in debt or owed any man anything. He came from the very throne of glory to be in a heartbeat in a virgin's womb. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that just heart-wrenching. He descended. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin. It was a sign. A virgin would conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. You remember in Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph found out that Mary was with child, he was going to put her away privately. He didn't want to make a public example out of her. He was a good man. But it was the angel that spoke to him and said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. That that's conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall, he shall, not might, not maybe, he shall save his people from their sins. And Joseph, he, he took her to be his wife. You know, after their marriage and after the Lord Jesus Christ was born, they had a normal marriage. Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters. He had a half-brother named James. He was the one that penned the book of James. That was Jesus' half-brother. They had the same mother, but not the same father. See, Joseph was not Jesus' father. The father in heaven is Jesus' father. He had a brother named Jude, the one that penned the book of Jude. That was Jesus' half-brother. I find it quite amazing in Jude verse 2 that Jude didn't say, Hey, my name's Jude, and I'm the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one you're worshiping. You know, it's like us when something happens and we're related to someone famous. We like to tell everybody, right? I mean, I have people all the time sending me texts. Hey, is Edgar Loudermilk your, one of your relatives? That's Bobby's son, my brother's son. He plays music all over the country playing music. I say, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's my nephew. He's my oldest brother's son. And sometimes I just walk up to people, and I know they know him. I say, hey, I'm, I'm Edgar's uncle. It's just common for us. If we know someone that's got some attention in the world, we'll say, hey, I'm, I'm related to them. Now, in a, in a carnal sense, could you just see Jude carnally? Let's just think carnally just for a moment, if we could. <laughs> Isn't that sad? Pastor asking people to think carnally. Whoo, write that one down. <laughs> Thinking carnally, how about Jude just saying, hey, my name's Jude and my half-brother's Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the eternal Son of God. Could you come to grips with that in your mind, thinking carnally? But that's not what he did. Mm-mm. He said, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. How about that? Servant. He didn't say I'm his half-brother. No, he said I'm his servant. I'm the servant of Jesus Christ. Joseph and Mary, after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, they had a normal marriage. They had sons and they had daughters. But he did not know her. She knew not a man. She said that herself. The book of Matthew, the last verse, teaches us. She knew not a man until after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we've got the time. We've got the where. We've got... How? What about a a why? Why did Jesus come into the world? Why did this promised son come into the world? There was a reason he came into the world. The reason he came into the world when he did, and the Bible says in Galatians 4 and verse 4, when the fullness of the times was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, here it is, to redeem them which were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Jesus came into the world to do something. Do something. Before the foundation of the world, he's the promised son. And he came into the world to do something. Do you remember when he sat at the Passover table with the apostles? This is when he had introduced the communion. The next day to be crucified, he said, with desire, 
I'm desired to eat this Passover with you. From before the world began until now, I've desired to eat this Passover with you. He came into the world for a reason. He came into the world because he gave his word and covenant before the world began. You know what happened to all the children of God in the Old Testament before Jesus came in the world? When they died, they went to heaven. That's what happened. Well, how are they born again, Brother Ronnie? Same way we are. You know, Moses and Elijah, Elisha, we preached about him. You know where he's at right now? He's, he's in heaven. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we'll get to see him one day. They're there. How? Well, oh, they kept the law in the Old Testament. Mm-mm. That's not it. The law was not given that one would have life. Well, how did they go to heaven? There was one before the world began promise to pay the debt. Therefore, they were able to enjoy heaven before the debt was paid. Well, I don't understand that, Brother Ryan. Let me ask you this. How many of you are living in a house right now that you're making payments on? How many? Have you ever went to the bank and made a covenant deal with the bank and said, Hey, I want to buy this house. And we're going to pay for this. And they knew you were good for your word. And you signed a stack of papers that tall. And then they'd let you live in the house, even though it wasn't paid for. Why? Because you gave your word that you would pay. You know why the people in the Old Testament were taken right to heaven? You know, these is born again the same way we are. It's because the promised son, before the world began, said, I'd come into the world and pay for anything they owed you, my father. When Jesus died on the cross... He died for all of his children in the Old Testament and the New Testament from the first until the last. All of them were right there represented in him. And hallelujah, he paid for all of their sins. Why did he come in the world? He promised to come. You remember when he said there in John chapter 3 and verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lifted up. Not might, not maybe. He must be lifted up. Remember there in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, Jesus told him he would go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, the scribes and Pharisees and the priests, and, and be killed and raised again the third day. He said, I must do that. You remember when he rose from the dead and he talked to Cleopas and the other one on the road to Emmaus there in Luke chapter 24 and verse 25 and 26. He said, ought not Christ to have suffered and to enter into his glory? He came into the world because he gave his word. He would come into the world and do it and he gave his word. God that cannot lie. The reason he came, he promised to come. He can't lie. And he did it. He came into the world to perform a work and even though he manifested his glory by the miracles that he did, Praise God, we have that recorded for us that gives us confirmation he is who he said he is. But the primary reason he come is to save his people. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 12 as we look at this in closing. When we're in John chapter 12, we're just, we're just, we can measure this hours before he'd go to the cross. Verse 23, he said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. How many times in the Gospel of John did he talk about that hour, that time? He said, It's come. He said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. What is he saying? He said, Except I die, I would abide alone, but he come into the world to die, that bring forth much fruit. 
My daddy used to say this. He said, you, you can take a, a cob of corn, a shuck of corn. And he said, you know, you, you can count all the kernels on that. You can divide them all up and count them. He said, but you're not able to count as many as in one seed, right? See, if I just had one shuck of corn, I can count all the kernels on that shuck. But if you just give me one seed of corn, I don't know how many shucks is in that. See, Jesus is that seed. That corn of wheat that came into the ground, came into this world and, and died and was planted in the ground for three days and three nights. And because of that, he'd bring forth much fruit. Notice we'd say in verse 27 of this, it'd say, now is my soul troubled. I can understand that. He knew what was before him. He knew everything that was before him. He knew the reaction he was going to get in Jerusalem. He knew they were going to beat his back to ribbons. He knew they were going to drive nails through his hands and feet. He knew they was going to beat his vision and he'd be marred more than any man. He knew they was going to drive a crown of thorns on his head. He knew they were going to strip him. He knew they were going to spit upon him and tell lies about him. He said, now is my soul troubled. He said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Is that what I should say? No, he's not going to say that. He said, but for this cause came I to this hour. And he said, Father, glorify thy name. And then the voice was heard from heaven. I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. See, the Father's name was glorified in the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father's name was glorified when he gave his perfect life in our room instead. So now we, the children of God, by what he did, that promised son coming into the world to do this, now we stand before God just as if we Never sinned. Brothers and sisters, you know what's going to happen when we get to heaven because the promised son came into the world and fulfilled it all and done that for us. When we get to heaven, well, Brother Ronnie, I tell you what, when I get to heaven, there's going to be a big screen TV there and, and it's going to play all of my sins and all the wrongs I've done and, and God's going to start weighing them out and if my good works outweigh my bad works, I'll be welcomed into heaven. No, there's not going to be a big screen TV in heaven. Thank the Lord. I've had enough big screen TVs in my life already. And I'm going to tell you, if that is true and you're in line behind me, get ready to wait a while, all right? It's not going to happen. And I'm going to tell you, if that's true, then the child of God that Jesus died for on the cross would be embarrassed as everybody else is sitting there watching all the things they thought. No, you're not going to be in heaven to be embarrassed. You're going to be in heaven to be welcomed in the arms of of God and hear these words come ye blessed in my father inherit the kingdom prepare for you from the foundation of the world why because Jesus Jesus came in the world the promised son came in the world and done that for us and now we're just a people the last verse of Psalms 22 we're just a people that are here declaring that he the promised son hath done this may God richly bless you as our prayer if there's anyone here this morning